Hello and welcome to another episode of Law Stories. I am Linda Thompson. I'm Megan Torbett. I'm Debbie Kobani. My name is Bridget Penhale and I'm a reader in mental health from the University of East Anglia. Lovely, thank you. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and about your background? Yes, I was born and brought up in the West Country, so not too far from Wales. I now am based over in East Anglia, which is a very long way from Wales. Um, in terms of my professional background, I have a first degree in psychology, and then I followed up with a degree, master's degree in social work. And I worked as a social worker and then as a manager of social workers for a very long time, um, more, more years than I care to own up to, but <laughs> over 15 years. Um, and most of that time was spent working with older people. All right, okay. And is that what got you interested in your current, I suppose, specialism? Yes, I was saying to someone this morning who, who asked a similar question that um, I was in a situation, a family situation as a social worker, and I was listening to quite an explosive situation which was occurring between family members. And when I was thinking about this situation afterwards, this is quite early in my social career, social work career. I thought, this is familiar. This is like something that's happening with children. And I suddenly thought, why wouldn't it? It's a family. This is about what's happening in the family setting. And it could happen across the lifespan. So it was a sudden moment of, of realisation, um, probably within a couple of years of, of qualifying as a social worker. And I then became interested in this issue. And at the time, not a lot was known about it at all. This was in the um, mid to late 80s. And I subsequently started looking at this issue. And when I had my first academic post, which was split between social working part-time and um, an academic position teaching and researching part-time, that's when I really started to focus on the issue of abuse and violence against okay. older people. Would you be able to explain a little bit about what, um, I suppose, elder abuse or violence to older women actually is and um, what counts as an older person or as an older woman and why women in particular are important in this aspect? One of the things that we know about is that um, there are more older women in the general population of older people. So women live longer than men. Life expectancy in most countries is longer for women than men. And what we also know is that in terms of differing types of violence, um, women are more affected by different types of violence than men, Is although there are a few um, exceptions to that. So for, for example, um, if we think about the range of different types of violence that might affect an older person, there may be physical violence, there may be psychological and emotional violence, there could be financial abuse, um, which would also include things like, it's not just about finance, it's about property, it's about possessions. Mm. Um, and in the States, they refer to financial abuse and exploitation mm. to try and get away from the notion that it's just about money. Yeah. Um, there may be sexual abuse, 
there may also be neglect. And then we have um, situations which occur within um, institutional settings, as well as in family settings or in the person's own home. And I can't remember if I said psychological and emotional abuse. I think I probably yeah. do. <laughs> but that is an important point, I think, is that a lot of the time, particularly through my experience and when I've during my degree, whenever we talked about abuse, um, you do think of physical violence, and it's probably only physical violence that you you consider, and only once somebody's you know somebody in your position then. Um, is able to educate and p- pass on the knowledge that actually um, violence isn't just about physicality, it's also about emotion and psychological and about finances. And I suppose sometimes you may think of sexual abuse, but again, you wouldn't necessarily think that's within a profession or within families. So something like this um, actually is surprising. It's it's very wide-ranging, and I, th- I think that's one of the... The difficulties with the issue as a whole, because, and and there's a further issue about use of of language and terms that are used. Because if we talk about violence, for many people, you're right, that means physical violence, yeah. and so an individual may be experiencing financial abuse. They may be ex- experiencing quite high levels of, of psychological, emotional, verbal abuse within a relationship and not perceive that as being about violence. So if they see any information which talks about domestic violence, which in effect means violence which is occurring in the domestic setting, in the home setting or in the family setting, they may not relate it as being anything to do with them because they, they're thinking about physical stuff. Um, you had a point about asking about who is an older person and at what age this sort of thing starts. And I think one of the issues in relation to that is that there are cultural differences and, and sort of differences between countries as to when a person is is thought of as an older person. I mean, we know that when you're a child, anyone who is 15 or... <laughs> older is is an old person Um, and certainly when you get to 30 that's it you're really an old person (laughs) but because the structure of society has been changing and and we have an aging population what we know is that life expectancy has been increasing over decades but it varies between different countries so in this country and in many of the western european countries old ages is really thought of as being around pension entitlement age yeah. so typically 65 although of course now pension age is going up and it's yeah. 67 although we still talk about 65 as the cutoff point however i think partly because of the fact that the older population has been increasing in numbers there's been this sort of suggestion about moving it back so um you know in wales there are the 50 plus fourers that include people who are you know, 50 and older um, and that's partly around planning for later life and planning for retirement and planning for older age but um, for some people you know it, it's quite surprising to get to 50 and think oh now I'm an older person yeah. whereas the we have a range of of entitlements bus passes and senior rail passes and all these things that happen typically for people when they're 60. 
and in some of the project work that I've done in terms of, of studies that have taken place in different European countries. Um, you know, we were surprised to learn, for example, from colleagues in Hungary that, you know, the life expectancy for a Hungarian man is very low, partly because of substance mis misuse problems and health problems relating from that. And so it would appear that, you know, a large number of Hungarian men die when they're 68, 69. Um, so if you think of old ages starting at 65, they're not yeah. old for very long. Yeah. But in fact, um, if you take it back to 60 or 55 or whatever mm. it, it might be, actually, it's a longer period of time. But I guess from a certain perspective, if a situation is happening to somebody at 58, 59, what's different at 60? Yeah. And there's a very nice quote from um, an American researcher called Suzanne Steinmetz, about domestic violence. It's okay. Fortunately, okay. we've got a nice break there. Yes, so. we'll cut that. <laughs> what she says is that um, in relation to domestic violence, if a person is experiencing or has experienced domestic violence and they are at the level of 64 years and 364 days, when they get to 65 years, it's something different. Why is it called something different? Why should it be called elder abuse if it's the same thing that they've been experiencing yeah. before? Yeah. It's the same situation. It's still domestic violence. Yes. Um, and it may not in include anything different. However, what we also know is that for some people, um, they may not have experienced abuse and violence in earlier in their lives or earlier in their relationships. Um, but because of a variety of reasons, when they become older, actually a situation occurs. So you may have a situation, perhaps, for example, a couple have a difficult relationship and it's always been difficult, but it's not been abusive. If you get into the, the sort of later stage of life and there's an accumulation of difficulties, Maybe they haven't got quite enough money to live on because of pension problems. Maybe they've got health problems. Maybe there's a sudden need for one person to be cared for, which was not expected. Um, you may get a situation where violence develops. Yeah. So violence may be very long term and something that's always existed in a relationship from very early on, or it may be something that happens later in the relationship. And recently, I suppose, when I've ever come across this type of conversation on the news, it's often been about how um, the staff in care homes are responding to, I suppose, either abuse or how they, or why they're abusing, and basically boils down to possibly neglect because they're overworked. So it's not often mm. um, extending to a degree um, into that type of abuse or into abuse within the home. And I think it's also, it's, it's this perception about, well, the older, this was a particularly difficult older person. They were very dependent. They had yeah. very heavy care needs. There was very challenging behavior because they had dementia. Yeah. And it's somehow acceptable. Yeah, and I think back onto the individual. Even in the, in the home setting, there can be a tendency to say, well, caring is very stressful. Mm. If you've got somebody who requires a lot of care, 
it's it's very hard work and carers can find it very difficult, they can find it very stressful and therefore perhaps it's not too surprising that abuse may happen or violence may occur. What that doesn't take into account for me is the fact that if that were the case then you know, we know we have X million carers in the country, maybe 7 million, probably more by now. We haven't got 7 million cases of abuse. No. So there's not a, a straightforward linear relationship between caring and abuse or even caring, stress and abuse. Because if there was, you would say anybody who's going to be caring will meet a stressful situation and they will abuse will be a consequence. And that's yeah. clearly not the case. We know that. I think that sometimes what you may get is this... Um, the role of the perception of the situation for the caregiver is very important. And I can give an example from a situation that, that I dealt with many years ago now as a social worker. But in that situation, um, there was an older couple living with their grown-up son who had never left home. He was single and he went out to work every day. And the man in the family, the husband, was the caregiver, the carer for his wife, who had um, restrictive vision. She was nearly blind. She had mobility problems and she was developing Parkinson's disease. So she got a, a, an array of different health problems and the husband was the carer. He became ill and got taken into hospital very suddenly. Well... He became ill, poor man. He, he was admitted to hospital. And they'd never had any contact from social services, but there was a sudden call to social services from the, the family doctor, the GP, saying, they're in a pickle, they need assistance. Can you go and assist? So we went and undertook an assessment. And what had happened was the son was thrown into this situation of being a caregiver. Unexpectedly. And he was supposed to be in full-time work. And we managed to put in quite a lot of support at home so to enable him to carry on working. And what we arranged as a short-term measure was that he would get up in the morning and go to work, but at about the same the time he left, a carer a home help, as they were then called, would come into the situation, would help to get mother up, would give her some breakfast, and then, as they were finishing, some transport would come and take her to daycare in a in a an old people's home. And she agreed to go, fortunately. She wasn't um, cognitively impaired at all, so she could make her decisions, and she knew this was a difficult situation. She agreed to go to daycare. So every day during the week, she went for daycare. When she came out of daycare, there was transport to take her home. There was a caregiver who would meet her, make sure she was okay, have something quick, you know, just a, a snack to eat. And then the son would come home from work, and he would put it to bed eventually, but he would pr provide the evening meal. Weekends were different because he wasn't at work, and so they had, I think, a visit, but nothing more. But that was, even all those years ago, that was quite an intensive package of care to support the family. 
Unfortunately, the husband never recovered. He never came out of hospital. Um, and what we, we know is that, you know, sometimes carers develop health problems, but they don't say anything, they don't get assistance, because actually what's happening is they're too busy caring and, and they can't sort of take time to go to a doctor's or whatever. So unfortunately, the husband died. And so the short-term package of care became a longer-term package of care because we needed to continue. But there were discussions with the son about the fact that this was really quite, you know, quite a bit of support. Mm. Um, and what we did was we arranged that every six weeks she would go into the care home for two weeks okay. for respite, to give him mm. a break. Mm. But I had a call one, one day after a weekend asking me if I would visit. This was from the son, and I thought, hmm, this sounds tricky. And I arranged to go that evening because he sounded like he was in a bit of a state. And I had a discussion with him, and what he was saying was, I can't do this. I'm not sure I can continue or how long I can continue. I'm, you know, it's getting to be too much for me. Now, objectively, it would have been quite, quite possible for me to say, Actually, you're getting a lot of help. <laughs> this is, a, yeah. you know, we, we can't put in huge amounts more help. Mm. I didn't say that. <coughs> and what he said, because I said, well, you know, what's changed? What's different apart? You know, I know that you know, your father's, yeah. unfortunately, your father's died. But what, what else is different? What he explained was, over that weekend, he had needed to go out to do some shopping and he tied his mother to the bed. Oh, my oh goodness. God. <laughs> to stop her from getting out of bed and falling over because of her mobility problems. And what he said was he had really needed to go out and do the shopping. He, there hadn't been anyone to call on, no other family. And he was stuck between, you know, the proverbial rock and a hard place mm-hmm. and... He was fearful what would happen to his mum. And he really didn't like what had happened. Yeah. <coughs> but he was also fearful that it would happen again. Mm. So there hadn't been any abuse in that situation no, before. Well. And thankfully, he raised this as an issue and said, I'm really not happy with what's happened. And his mum was saying, no, neither am I. Yeah, <laughs> she, she was saying, this was this was not a great experience. Yeah. Um, so what we then did was we arranged to have more frequent periods in the care home mm. respite while she was waiting for a place in the in the local care mm. home and fortunately she agreed to go into the care home it was the home that she was familiar with because she was going for daycare okay. and she went for respite so it was like an and over time we managed to get that that place and we we put in a little bit more support for the for the son i think over weekends but not a huge amount because of course resources were stretched yes, even yeah. even then in the 90s and what what we did was we held that situation 
But my point, in a very long and rambling way, was that his perception of the situation was that it was too stressful and too difficult, and he could not do this long term. So it had gone from being this sort of short-term measure into indefinite future, and he really couldn't deal with that. If we had ignored that and said, well, you know, you're getting a lot of help here, it's not too stressful, if we'd, we'd imposed our view about yeah. it, yeah. then there would have been all sorts of problems. I'm sure yeah, that it would have developed of... into major abuse. Exactly, yeah. However, because I'd listened... Actually, I'd recently come across this piece of work which was saying the perception of, of the carer about the situation is, is key. If the, if the perception of the carer is that this is too difficult and this, I can't do this, then actually we have to do something about that because that's the, that's the alarm bell. Yeah. Things, things might happen from here. It might get worse very quickly. Has there been any research on attempting to uh, rem remedy that via counselling, say, with the carer? There's been some work that's been undertaken around how to assist caregivers. Um, there's been some work around anger management mm. for physically abusive situations. So if a carer is liable to lose their temper um, and to lash out and, you know, everything gets a bit much and they can't control their emotion or their anger. There's been some work which has been undertaken which involves a combination of different things like counselling. Um, I don't know that there has been work undertaken direct, well, research that's been undertaken, but I know that there are projects that have been set up which provide assistance in terms of counselling and support for carers and sort of education because sometimes you may get a situation where a caregiver doesn't really know how to look what after to the person, yeah. what's going to happen, what this means. Um, I dealt with a situation which wasn't an abusive situation but the, um, the older man had Parkinson's disease and one of the problems with Parkinson's disease is it's terribly variable. So you can get a situation where one day they seem okay in terms of mobility, etc. The next day they can they can't move. It's, it's it fluctuates hugely, and in this situation, the caregiver, his wife, said, "Well, he could walk yesterday, yeah. and he's not walking today, and he's just trying. He's doing it to be difficult, yeah. because she didn't know yeah. about this issue, and so actually getting a nurse to come in and talk to to the the wife about Parkinson's disease and what happened actually it was a it was an educative yeah. function but it, it improved the situation because she then understood much more about the illness so I think sometimes things happen to people in terms of you know somebody suddenly has a stroke or they develop a condition um, and they're going to need a lot of support and Families are just expected to make do. Yeah. You know, the, the view of the healthcare professionals, because they're so stretched, is unless a family says, no, we can't do this, the expectation is, of course they're going to do it. They can cope with this without necessarily thinking about what they might need to support them. So although I, I'm saying it's not to do with stress, of course yeah. it's linked, that, yeah. but I think it's usually a combination of different factors which are involved. And you have to try and unpick what those factors are, and you need to 
also to you know assist in a way that that might make sense if you have a situation where you have financial abuse um maybe you've got a situation of um an adult son who has got some sort of substance misuse problem and is stealing money from his parents to feed his habit um and to ensure that he's got a, a ready supply of, of drugs or alcohol, whatever it happens to be, counselling, extra support at home may not actually do much to assist yeah. that situation. So you've also got to think about what the situation is and what you might do to assist in that situation, to alter that situation. Because, you you know, if the son isn't really bothered about what's happening, you know, or apart from the fact that he gets his money, and he doesn't want to change his behaviour, you're not necessarily going to succeed in, in altering that situation whilst they're together. The first step to change is wanting to change. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it is very true. And, it you know, people always say that sort of thing, and they think, oh, yeah. But if you think about it, if somebody's not acknowledging a problem or saying that this is an issue for them or they say yeah yeah that's a bit of a problem but that you can tell that they don't actually they haven't taken that on board then altering the behavior doesn't even occur to them because it's not an issue for them is there um any provision or legislation in place to try and help with these type of situations yes and no (laughs) you might have guessed i might make that sort of (laughs) that answer So what we have is, in Scotland, there is legal provision in the form of what's called the Adult Support and Protection Scotland Act. And that is about abuse and protection and support, as the name suggests. Interestingly, it was going to be the Adult Protection Act, and then because there were a number of... um, representations from disabled people in particular but also some older people they said well it's not just about protection it's about support so they changed the title this was before it became law and that has a range of different provisions to assist people so it's about assessment it's also about the fact that somebody actually could be removed from that situation for an for assessment purposes or to a place of safety for a short-term period if they really need to if they get court agreement for that. That's very specific legislation. It only applies in Scotland. Um, in England, there's no one piece of legislation which is comparable to that, although we do have it in relation to children. So in England, there, there are sections of the law which will assist people. So if somebody's experienced financial abuse, the theft acts will assist. If there's the Sexual Offences Act, which would deal with um, sexual assault and rape. Um, there's the Offences Against the Person Act of 1861, which is still on the statute books, which actually introduced the notions of grievous bodily harm and actual bodily harm. But there's no one go-to place to get that legislation. The situation in Wales is a little bit different in the sense that th- there's the... Social Services and Wellbeing Act, Mm. which was introduced. And there's some provision within that um, in relation to adult protection. Mm. I'm afraid 
given that I'm in Aberystwyth, I'm going to stick my hands up and say I don't know the detail of that. But I do know from discussions with Professor John Williams that it's there are some complications in terms of of the provision. And we have done a podcast previously on this type of project uh, on discussing the the Choice Project, which you should hopefully still be able to access. Hopefully. Um, Yes. Um, (laughs) But otherwise, they can contact us on Facebook and we can always put that episode back up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that would be useful because, again, it's not something that people talk about particularly. In in England, the domestic violence legislation, which was originally set up to assist younger people who experience violence, has been, you know, well, certain elements of it were always available for older people. The Family Law Act, which was introduced in 1986, extended some of that. So it had previously talked about husbands or wives, it, and it was extended for cohabitees or partners um, rather than just those people who were were legally married. It also was in, um, developed to include um, the family setting, so other family members. Um, the only exclusion was people who were um, in a, a sort of tenant-lodger type of arrangement and receiving money. But if they were living in the same environment apart from that situation, so if you've got family members living together, the law would be would cover that. Okay, I think I just got in. Um, It's a bit difficult for me because I come from a different, uh, the the cultural differences here setting. Where I'm from, you take care of your aged. You don't, there is no, um, the government doesn't support in any way. So you have to literally find a way to do it yourself or get someone to help you while you're at work. So isn't this then, I mean, with the cuts in the system and not enough funds, isn't it time we kind of stood back and had like a proper reorientation of the way things are, start teaching our younger ones to, you know, we, we, we listen to the news and talk about all, all people being lonely and things. It's, it kind of really strikes a bad chord. Can't we just sit back and say, instead of ranting about not enough money, This the party is doing this, or this government isn't providing. Can't we start teaching our children on time about taking care of your parents, finding some way? You know, other person is going to do it better than you do. And back to what you said about um, taking care of, um, like the carers being the ones who not having time for themselves. We have this saying that, um, it's a person who takes care of the sick one who is actually sick because you go through all the emotional trauma, all the, you know, which the sick person really doesn't notice. No. You know, so um, that being said, it's also something to, I mean, consider when we, they are human beings, sometimes if it's just like a really close-knit family, the difficulty in seeing them in that situation. Yes, the only reason why the man in your story called you was because he had an option. And I think I think because he knew me, we had a relationship yeah. over a period yeah. of time. I'm, I think if it was the first time he was calling someone, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have known yeah. what yeah. to do or who to speak to. Or he, how to say it. Yeah. He trusted me, yeah. is bottom line, I think. And we were just fortunate that happened couple of very quick points. One is that I think it's interesting to me in 
in France, they have a type of abuse which is called societal abuse. Mm. And that does talk about those very structural things. It's about um, pension payments or it's about the structure of society. Um, and it's an acknowledgement about um, the fact that, you know, things might happen at that, at that societal level. So cuts in services and all that sort of thing play a part. You know, there's an assumption in policy and legislation that carers, you know, family members will care for, fa for, their, for their older relatives and they will do the job they need to do. But if you're reducing the amount of support they can have, some, in, in some ways it's no wonder that they run into difficulties. Yeah. Your point about educating or, or sort of teaching young people to respect and be involved and all those sorts of things and, and sort of increasing that intergenerational solidarity I think is very important. And there are some projects that are, are beginning to, to develop around that. And it's not just about reducing abuse or possibility of abuse, but it's also about um, care and yeah. support and and trying to make sure that you know people get what they need so you know very valid points thank you i think um from here it's probably quite relevant to then talk about the, the choice project um but we do intend to do another podcast on the choice project yeah. with more specific details so uh, please do look out for that um thank you for coming to Abbotsworth and for speaking on our podcast today yes it's been excellent uh I'm, there are so many other things I wanted to ask. Yes, it's such a big topic. I'd love you to come back, and or if we can set it up over Skype at some stage, I'd love to do another. Yeah, we can. We can yeah. see when the weather's nice. I'd love to come back. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, if, if you're ever back, just 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 let us know. I think I think it's quite yeah. possible, but I think in you know we can see how things go, and and if needs be, we can do Skype. That's yes. fine. Yeah. Um, it's just we have to then deal with you know Connect the, yes. the, the, the voice the going in and out yeah. and yes. you have to get a good Skype connection but, yes. but it's been a pleasure thank you, thank you. Yes. Um, I am Linda Thompson I'm Megan Talbot I'm Emile Debbie Kobani <laughs> I'm Bridget Penhale uh, this has been Law Stories thank you very much for listening uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. we are on Twitter at lawstoriespod uh, we also have a Patreon if you'd like to support the uh, the the show and help pay for our our hosting, so we can have more episodes online at any one time. And that's at Patreon.com/slash/law_underscore_stories. You can also listen to us on iTunes or on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com/slash_law_stories. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>